I've really been enjoying this series on the life of David and his mighty men. Something I've been wanting to teach on a long time, and it's something that we're going to take our time on. I don't know how long we will camp on this topic, but I believe it's extremely important because God is doing in us the very same thing he did in David and in his mighty men. And there are many areas in David's life that there's a parallel to Jesus's life. And I want to encourage you, as I teach on the life of David and his mighty men, that you take time as good students of God's word to really read and get to know the life of David, because it was through his life that the Messiah would come. It was through his life that God would give him a title. The best title wasn't king. The best title wasn't commander. The best title wasn't warrior, and the best title wasn't even worshiper. David was all those things. The best title was father. And David would become a father to a rag, tag, motley crew of outcasts, just like so many of us. Either we were once an orphan, or we still are an orphan. And I'm going to say to you that even today in my life, I still have to wrestle and fight against the residue of my past. Familiar spirits, lies, accusations of the enemy. There are many moments in my life that I act like an orphan, even though I'm a son. But the greatest thing that God did in my life was he transferred me out of the kingdom of darkness where I was a child of the devil and he made me a child of himself. And what we're gonna really hammer today is this orphan spirit. And as I talk, I want you to listen to the father. I would say that so many of us, even though we call ourselves Christians and we go to church, really battle orphan tendencies. And remember, these outcasts were indebted, distressed, and discontent. And what I'm going to show you here in a moment is that they were also full of fear. And fear is probably one of the greatest indicators and identifiers of an orphan spirit. Why? Because God has not given you a spirit of fear. He gave you a different spirit. So I've learned that any place in my life that I continue to to manifest fear, there's an absence of perfect love in that place. And in fact, I believe that the Lord allows it to happen for a great reason. He reveals it to heal it. Can I tell you how many times in a day the Lord says to me, son, you're acting like an orphan. I'm like, I know, Lord, but can't I just be an orphan for five minutes? He's like, no, you're a son now. That's not who you are anymore. The old you is dead. Say, the old me is dead. dead. Put your name in it and make it personal. Say, the old and say your name is dead. See, you're hidden in Christ. So the law of sin and death no longer is killing you. It's no longer holding you captive. You now are under the law of liberty and grace. You've been transferred out. The problem is most of us want to keep one foot in and one foot out. We're half in and we're half out, aren't we? Shake your head, yes. We all face it. But today what I want to do is I want to show you this process that God did in David and in the mighty men of breaking that open spirit so that they could fulfill the purposes of God that he had destined for them. So they run to a cave, they got a jacked up king, a jacked up culture, a jacked up system, they're under a master-slave dictatorship, 
and they needed somebody that was a father and a son. So when the mighty men left Jerusalem to follow David to the cave, what did they need more than anything? They needed a father. And there's nothing more than we need if we're gonna fulfill what we're called to fulfill. Before they were written in the Bible of all the great feats that these mighty men had and named one by one by name, before all of that, they would have to get healed, restored, and they would have to become sons. They would have to run to a cave. And I've said so many times, this house is like a cave of healing. This is not an orphanage. The local church is not supposed to be an orphanage. Remember that. Orphans come here, and many of you are still acting like orphans, but you're not supposed to stay an orphan because in this house, there's a father. See, orphans in an orphanage dream every day of being saved or rescued or adopted by a mother and father. I've been to orphanages. They were neglected, abandoned, left as babies, left as kids. And the older they get, nobody wants them. The foster care system's broken. Not enough people are making the sacrifices. But the local church is designed to be a family and a house of healing where we all find the Father's love equally. David's greatest title would be a father. Your greatest title is mother and father. So God's making you into something. Mighty men and women are mighty mamas and papas. That's who you're called to be. So your number one desire becomes engendering sons and daughters. I have no greater desire than to reproduce sons and daughters. You want to do anything for me? Flame on and be a daughter and stop living like an orphan. Come on, son. That's not who you are anymore. Shame, victim mentality, hiding, self-preservation. When you come to Christ, you get transformed. You become a new creation. The old is past, the new has come. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. I was made new, I'm new today, and I'll be new tomorrow. If you see me or hear me next week or tomorrow, I won't be the same man that I am today. Every day you should be falling more in love because you're sons, and you got a good, good father. He's an amazing dad. Now, David would have to learn this. Even though David had a mother and father, he had to overcome an orphan spirit so that he could become the son that God called him to become and ultimately a king. His parents had issues. The dad rejected him. When Samuel came for the coronation of the king, he paraded all seven sons, but the one he left in the field. You're not even coming to the coronation. Even if your brother gets coronated, you're not gonna get to see it. I'm going to relegate you to the field with some little old messed up, dirty, wandering, wayward sheep. But what did David do? Even though David was rejected, even though we don't know the exact story of his mom, it could have been adulterous, it could have been infidelity, or they both could have said, there's no way David, through the line of Ruth, could ever have the promise of a king, reject David had to overcome it. In fact, if you read through all the Psalms, which is today's worship manual, by the way, the Psalms is the New Testament worship manual. Look at the song we sang, Proverbs 3. Those who trust in the Lord 
shall renew their strength. Trust in the Lord with all of your ways and acknowledge him and he'll direct you. And we're singing songs from the heartbeat of God. We're literally singing songs that were written by King David thousands and thousands of years ago that are as relevant today. But throughout all the Psalms, you'd find these tinges of complaints and manifesting and lies. And why did God put them in there? God's word is not a lie, but what God's showing you is the, the frailty and humanity of man and the honesty that we should have before God. You know, my, every day I pray this prayer lately. I don't have to go through all this crazy confession. I do some confession, don't hear me wrong. I confess things, but my prayer lays like, Lord, I'm not even gonna pretend. I am not, I got nothing to hide. You know all the hairs on my head on every word before I speak it. I'm not gonna pretend to be weird and religious and overly reverent. I'm coming to you just as I am. Take me as I am, Father. You know me. You're my father. No one knows you like your dad should know you. He knows you better than you know yourself. So throughout David's life, we see these constant combustions and manifesting and disobedience. But we always saw David run to the father instead of hide, lie, and run away like King Saul did. See, orphans hide, preserve, and protect and don't want anybody to know and they isolate. Sons live in the light. Sons run to the father's arms. They don't run away. They don't pretend. They say, Lord, I'm coming to you. I'm sorry for what I did. I repent. See, that's what made David in so many ways, not completely, but in many ways, a man after God's own heart. So I encourage all of you to study the life of David. But understand that in order for the mighty men to follow, support, and fight for David, he would have to overcome himself because God first does it in you, then he does it through you. Let's say it again. First, he does it in me. And then he does it through me. So how can you engender and raise up sons and daughters if you don't know what it means to be a son or a daughter yourself? You reproduce what you are. So I'm sharing this today because what we want to do is kill the old you and that orphan mentality. And every day it's a fight. Every day it's a fight. And I'm going to fight with you. I'm going to fight for you. And I'm fighting just the same. Because I was abandoned, neglected, and raised with broken parents and had to figure out for myself what it means to be a son. And every day you're in discovery. Say, I'm in discovery. It's something we learn and grow into day by day. Stop beating yourself up and trust the process of maturity. So today we're gonna pick up the story in 1 Samuel chapter 23. We've been talking a lot about 1 Samuel 22. And we're gonna pick up where David and his mighty men are safely hiding in a cave. When news comes to David that the Philistines have attacked and were robbing a very special city in Israel. Let me tell you about this city. 
And let me give you the context. David and his mighty men are hiding in a cave. They're wanted men. In all natural t- uh, processes, they are outlaws. The, the king wants to kill them. They're indebted. They're outcasts. They're in, they owe people money and they're on the run. Anybody ever know somebody that's owed money and they're on the run? Some of y'all went and got your money from those people. But they're on the run. They're hiding in a cave. God's working something inside of them. They're finally safe, by the way. And all of a sudden, in 1 Samuel chapter 23, news comes to David. Let's look. 1 Samuel 23, verse 1. Then they told David, saying, look, the Philistines are fighting against Keilah, and they are robbing the threshing floors. Therefore, David inquired of the Lord and said, shall I go and attack the Philistines? And the Lord said to David, go and attack the Philistines and save Keilah. But the orphans, the outcasts, the fearful, the afraid, the self-preserving, the all about me, myself and I said, <laughs> look, we're afraid here in Judah. How much more than if we go to Keilah against the armies of the Philistines? What did David do? He inquired of the Lord once again. Just keep this scripture up. I'm gonna give you a few awesome points about this scripture. Number one, I want you to notice how the people from the city of Keilah did not appeal to their own king. They appealed to David instead. David wasn't even king yet, but his fame and his popularity and his notoriety had spread throughout all the land. They sang songs about David. Even the enemy knew about David. He was popular and he was famous, but he was also a great and mighty warrior that the people loved. There was something about David that caused these people to say, I'm running to him instead of running to the king. Probably because they knew their king was insecure, afraid, and orphan, and would not protect and fight for them. And David could have easily made some decisions to say, that's not my job. It's not my job. I'm safe in this cave. Some of y'all would rather stay in the cave. Some of you cave dwellers know who I'm talking about. And if you had your way, you'd have a little house on an island out in the middle of the ocean by yourself. You all know who you are. (laughs) You mean I just got, I just got here. I'm just now getting healing and saved and discovery and you want me to do what? You want me to go fight? Let's add a fourth component to these orphans' identity. They were distressed, they were in debt, they were discontented, and now we're gonna add afraid. Orphans are full of fear. Fear wreaks havoc. Fear of money, fear of your future, fear of relationships, fear in your marriage. And these guys had a very real fear, by the way, This wasn't a perceived fear. You know, most fear that we have is just perceived, right? It's false evidence appearing real, fear. Most of the things that you fear never actually happen. 
And then God says, I don't, didn't give you a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. So it's not just don't be afraid. It's also rise up and don't be timid and be a lion and go defend and rescue the fatherless, the widows, and the orphans. Your life's not under yourself. So we get this powerful picture of you, all these men were jacked up. They come to the cave and all of a sudden, oh, you thought, don't get comfortable. Don't hide out because there's another job to do. Listen, everything's a test. Let's say that together. Everything's a test. David would face test after test after test in order to learn trust. See, testing leads to trusting. You know why you can trust God? Trust is different than faith. Trust is based on fact. Everybody say this with me. Say, that's a fact, Jack. That's a fact, Jack. God has never failed you. No matter what happened, he never failed you. And he never will. You know why I know God's good? Because we've, I've been through so much and overcome so much and he's led me through failure after failure, shortcoming, death, hardship, people coming, letdowns, highs, lows, mountains, valleys. I mean, holy cow, it's been like a roller coaster ride of training. Your training is a roller coaster ride. Your training is white river rafting down Niagara Falls. <laughs> Am I right? Does any of you feel like that? You put yourself in a little capsule and said, watch me live, and then you died. It's all a test. What does testing do? It refines your heart, and it breaks the orphan spirit. Actually, testing, when you pass the test, you become sons, and you break that orphan spirit. Listen to this. I just summarized some of the tests that David faced. His family, his heart, Saul, the mighty men, the enemy, his friends, Bathsheba, Uriah, his flesh, the military leaders, his own trust in God, cities, nations, all of it was a test. His whole life was a test. The sheep, the lion, the bear, Goliath. It's like, holy cow, test after test after test after test after test his whole life. And that's not any different for us, except this testing refines you in fire and makes you pure gold. This is a, a better testing because God loves you. And when you give your life to him, right off the bat, you're hidden in him. You're hidden in Christ. You're dead to sin. Even if you run back to sin, you're actually dead to it. Say this to me. Say, I am hidden. Hide me in you. I'm in Christ. I'm in Christ. David had so many things going for him that I want, to, I want you to put yourself in David's shoes for a minute in the cave with these messed up orphans that come to follow him, all right? The news comes, David could have easily promoted his own personal ambitions by not going to rescue a city that Saul should have gone to do. That's his job. It's not my job. You know that David had the power to kill the king twice and chose not to avenge himself. And when he even cut the hem of Saul's garment, which we will be talking about because David and his mighty men actually go to another cave. And this time they're just resting, hiding out again. And the king goes in the cave to take a whiz. I'm not kidding. 
He goes in to relieve himself. That might've been a number two. Well, we can't talk like, I'm with kids all day long. Number one or number two? You gotta, you gotta go poo or pee? What's it gonna be? Dad mode, guys, dad mode. So we're gonna get to that in this story because this is another redemptive element in David's life, another testing when he cut Saul's, the hem of Saul's garment. But the, what's the point of the story? He, you don't have to avenge yourself. Vengeance isn't yours, says the Lord. Vengeance is his. And God's looking at you. And if you stay, if you're bitter and unforgiving, you're holding yourself and the other person captive. So vengeance is mine, says the Lord. That's why you got to not be bitter and angry. And David would have to pass that test. He had probably every reason to be ticked off. Here's one of my favorite thoughts about this. This is all the stuff that I get out of this. David could have said, if you only knew about my anointing service and my prophetic word and what was spoken over me and who I'm supposed to be. You don't remember that Kevin Leal prophecy? No, guys, I don't. There were thousands. I don't remember your prophecy. You didn't know I was told I'm going to be a pastor. David could have said, if you only knew about my coronation and my anointing service, if you only knew the prophet Samuel himself anointed me with oil in front of my family, redemption, you don't know who I am. You don't know me. Now, I'm making, I'm being dramatic for a reason. Because David, instead of promoting himself and saying, don't you know my rap sheet of ministry? This happens to me all the time. I'm an evangelist. I'm a prophet. I'm an intercessor. You may be those things, but that's what you do. That's not who you are. Your value is in your identity. Let's check your character. Let's check yourself before you wreck yourself because your gift will kill you. There's so much to learn from this moment. So instead of David promoting himself and grabbing onto the popularity and the fame and the notoriety and the songs, and now 600 people are with him, despite all that, he chose not to promote his own agenda. Now, let me tell you something else about this. Notice that David's first reaction wasn't, let's go get him. You have to. No, you don't. And on the flip side, his agenda or his response wasn't, heck no. He had two voices speaking to him. One said, go, son, father. One said, no, orphan, master. The mighty men were like, <laughs> you know why? There's so many reasons. This is a real fear. Number one, the hills of Judea, David and his mighty men knew it so well. They knew every cave, every crack, every crevice. And when they needed to run and they needed to hide, there was safety in them, thar hills. <laughs> them, say them, thar hills. <laughs> We're going to stay right here. Heck no. 
I'm not going to Kila. By the way, you know what that city's name means? Fortress. Look at verse seven. Jump to verse seven real quick in your Bible. In verse seven, it says that Saul said, ha, we're gonna catch them now because they're gonna get walled up in the city. And now the mighty men were already thinking, if we go to save this city, we're gonna get shut in and locked in. It's got gates and bars. No way am I going to rescue and save that city. I'll get stuck there. I might get killed there. We're already outlaws, and now you want us to step out? They're certainly going to hear, and they're going to come trap us. And even Saul thought to himself, I got them. Let me ask you a question. If you were in this situation, would you have even prayed and sought the Lord first? Because a true son is spirit-led, and a true son seeks the face of the Lord first. You know how many things that I have been asked to do or prophesied to do that I said, no way am I doing that. And you know what? When you don't want to do something, what the first thing is you don't do? I'm not going to pray about that because I don't want an answer. I don't want this answer in my life. Your relationships, your jobs, everything's on the altar. But sure enough, you ain't going to pray about it because what if God says no and you don't want that answer? Or what if he says go? That was my story with Oral Roberts University. In the 80s, my dad, Oral Roberts, come on the TV all the time, building a hospital, building a school, one of the best schools at my alma mater. But let me tell you, it's the last place I wanted to go. And I kept getting prophetic words. Maybe you should go to Oral Roberts University. I said, no way am I going to ORU. Because my dad taught me that Oral and Richard were crooks and the whole thing was a sham. And all they were were televangelists out to take your money. My dad wanted me to go to some notoriety state school, state university not some evangelist Christian school, but what he didn't know is the year I chose to go was ranked 29th in the nation for highest academic standards amongst business colleges. I didn't go for Oral Roberts University, though ultimately there's a legacy on my life from my alma mater. So I get these prophetic words. Have you considered ORU? No. Somebody else come along. Hey, I know you're thinking about going to school. What about O are you? No. Nah, not going there. Guess what I didn't do about it? Oh, you, you know why I didn't pray. Some of y'all aren't even talking to the Lord about some of your situations. Because you don't want it to change. Fear. Orphan. Instead of isolating and hiding, instead of sulking and staying the victim, instead of making any assumptions about your next step or trying to figure it out with your own plan, the first thing we should always do is what David did, inquire of the Lord. The most difficult thing David would have to do would be to take this ragtag crew of outlaw orphans and go save a city. It's unsafe, could die. This is a real fear. But do you know the fastest way to kill your fear? Face it. That's right. That's right. 
Now do it with Jesus, right? This isn't a behavior modification thing, but I'm saying to you, don't run. You're lions. The wicked flee when no one's pursuing. Proverbs 28, one, the righteous are bold as a lion. Let's say that. The righteous, sons and daughters, are bold as a lion. Let me tell you about this city. This city was very special to David. Do you know why? So David is the 10th, was born in the 10th generation of his family line. You have to go back 13 or 14 generations roughly to Abraham. Okay? Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Judah. In David's family line 10 generations ago, an allotment was given. 28 generations from David comes a Messiah, by the way. 14, 14, 14 generations. The city of Keilah belonged to his inheritance. That was his city. That's his tribe. Tribe of Judah. This land's sitting in my lineage. You can't not go save it. And they're robbing and they're stealing. Think about it. You did all the work. You harvested all the grain. You brought it all in by hand, no machinery. And you loaded it into the threshing floors. And here comes the enemy. Thank you. Thanks for doing all that work. It's mine now. That's what the devil does. So instead of sitting and isolating, he goes and rescues. Let me say this. When God rescues you, you have a responsibility to rescue someone else. Engendered sons and daughters, engender sons and daughters. Redeem sons and daughters, redeem orphans. I'll use this analogy. Before I was single, all I could, before when I was single, all I could think about was getting married. I so wanted a wife. And rooted in wanting a wife, there was something else that I really wanted to do, which would produce something. I was so desirous to, to have a family and reproduce sons and daughters. That same passion and more should be in you today to reproduce sons and daughters, to engender, but to say engender, not misgender. Thank you, by the way. Nathan gave me that earlier. We're not misgendering people. We're engendering. Look up the word. What does engender mean? It means to beget and raise up sons and daughters. Listen, your greatest position in the kingdom is mama and papa. Oh my God. The father is looking for a family, beloved. No matter how messy and broken, we have a responsibility. Orphans are everywhere, everywhere. So either you were once an orphan or you are an orphan, but every one of us can have orphan residue. I call it orphan residue. These little tendencies of fear, worry, doubt, sleepless nights, I get them. And I have to fight the good fight of faith. Every day you fight the good fight of faith. And some days you want to quit. Can we just be honest? This isn't fake it till you make it. There's days I don't want to come here just because I want to sulk or be selfish or just hide in my cave. 
There's days that the fight doesn't feel good and there's moments. We can all be prone to believe lies and accusations the enemy tells you. But that's why you have to understand this message today. There's a clear difference between orphans and sons. So that when I manifest orphan residue, God goes, You're, that's not who you are. And I already know it by God's word. So I already know what God, how God feels about me, what he says about me, and I know who I am. So if I'm acting out, I can just be like, I'm acting out. And God's like, yeah, that's not who you are. You are a son. Sons are quick to run to the father instead of run away. They embrace grace and mercy and forgiveness and they have no works mentality to earn it. One of the clear identifiers of orphan mindset is shame, victim mentality, fear, and self-preservation. That's what they wanted to do. They wanted to self-preserve ourselves. You kidding me? I'm gonna stay in this cave. No way am I going to rescue those people. You have to know that nothing can separate you from God's love. Nothing. Nothing means nothing. Everybody say nothing. nothing. So why do you keep allowing lies to get you to believe that you're separated from his love? He never leaves you the same because he loves you. That doesn't mean it doesn't require change in action, but look at this scripture. This is one of the best scriptures on this topic I could give you, John 14, 18. Oh, he's not leaving you the same. Look at the scripture, John 14, 18. Well, it's not, there it is. Can't you just hear Jesus say, I'm not gonna leave you as an orphan? Yeah, you once were. Yeah, you have days, that, but guess what? I'm coming to you, your house. I'm knocking on the door of your heart. And if you'll open, we're gonna eat some good food. You just got to realize at some point the food at the pig trough is going to kill you. You need a change of appetite. God needs to change your diet. You need a diet change. You need to change your diet. I'm prophesying in the natural too. The pig trough that's where orphans eat. The king's table is where sons eat. Psalm 68, 5. He's a father to the fatherless. A defender of widows is God in his holy habitation. He's got a holy habitation in heaven. Do you know when Kevin came up today and he sang and we went in to praise the Lord, I saw the throne room and the worship around the throne room stop for a moment and go. <laughs> and then I heard the choir around the throne began to join together with us on earth as we sang together in heavenly worship and in high praise. This is not an orphanage, beloved. You can't come here and stay the same. Amen. And if you are, something's wrong. Either I'm not preaching right, Mark and Nathan and the team's not singing right, or the atmosphere's not right. And I don't think any of those things are off. I'm saying that to you to challenge you because I don't want you to leave here the same. So what I wanna do is I wanna give you a couple key identifiers and you can ask yourself, is which one is you? 
and then you repent for it and you understand that he would not leave you the same. First off, let's tackle how you see God. Many people see God as master slave. I can't please him. I'm not doing enough. I've let him down. I'm sorry that I disappointed you, God. It's what we've said to our fathers or when our fathers have said, you disappointed me. So we constantly live in this mindset of I've disappointed you, I failed you. And then we have this mindset of I've got to earn it, work it, or pay penance to get back to it. But see, sons know that they're a son and they just own it and they repent and they cry out for help because they understand he's a merciful God. Orphans see God as a punishing, angry, you made your bed, now lie in it. Sons say, I made my bed in hell, but somehow God was there. I don't know how that happened. I flew off to the furthest part of the sea to get away from y'all. And guess who was there? How in the world did God find me at the furthest part of the sea? Yeah, I'm lying in my bed in hell. Surely you won't find me there, God. Oh yeah, he's gonna find you there. And sons know it, by the way, they know it. I really wanna hit this one, dependency. There is such an independent spirit in the church today. No, people don't like to be measured. They don't like to be corrected. And it can be because measurement and, correct, and correction can sometimes be mes messy. But we all need it. If I'm not being measured and I'm not being corrected, I can't be built. See, think about until you're cut, you don't become something. You got to cut a tree to make it into furniture. So orphans are independent and self-reliant. Oh, I, I got this. Nobody's watched my back. I got to protect myself. But you know what sons are? They're interdependent. Just look up, Google the word, inter, not right now or later, Google the word interdependent. Look up the definition. It means we're mutually dependent, not an unhealthy codependency. I am interdependent with Pastor Jeff, but I don't have to have Pastor Jeff to survive and live, but I do need him. But if he wasn't here, I'll be okay because I don't have a healthy and unhealthy codependency. So now you can love perfectly, whether you stay or whether you go. The Walton stay or go. I love them the same. Nothing changes. We continue to worship and trust God because I didn't have an unhealthy codependency with him. The church is full of, of independent, unhealthy codependency. Pastor wasn't there. Pastor didn't meet with me. Pastor didn't call me. Pastor didn't do this. And we're so codependent upon the leaders that we're not dependent on God and we're still orphans. There's so many to this things to this topic. I mean, I, I have about 50 identifiers. How about your future? God says, I know the plans I have for you, not to harm you, but to give you a hope and a future. Sons understand that they have an inheritance in him, not from man. My multimillionaire blood father is alive today I have no relationship with him. And my mom, before she died, she'd say, get the money. 
go get the money. No, my mom was on a mission because realized my blood father abandoned my 24-year-old Greek mom I, within a year after she had me. And he was a multimillionaire. Get the money. And some of y'all are like, yeah, get the money, bro. Get the money. Come on, get the money. That's not my inheritance. Sons know where their inheritance comes from. You have a better inheritance, beloved. You have an inheritance. Way better than what your mom or dad could have ever left you. But orphans fight for mines. I'm going to get mines. I'm going to climb the ladder, dog-eat-dog world. I don't trust you, and I will do whatever it takes to climb over you because it rightfully belongs to mine. Orphans are clinch-fisted. Sons are open-handed. Say, I'm a son or a daughter. If you're a girl, don't say son. And if you're a son, don't say daughter. Let's get this right. We are not misgendering you today. So let's do it one more time. You know who you are. Say, I am a son or daughter. Um, There's so many in this. I might pick this up next week. Do you guys like this? Is this ministering to your heart today? Doesn't it just feel so good? You should be encouraged. Oh, you got struggles? Who doesn't? Where's my violin? No, I care about you. I really do care about you. I am extremely compassionate. I promise you. It's all about perspective. You need a paradigm shift. You need to shift your paradigm. You've owned depression. You've owned anxiety. You've owned alcohol. You've owned a false identity. Stop. You want just one or two more and then we'll pray? That didn't sound convincing because you know I'm going to give it to you anyway. (laughs) Let's just hit this one, peer relationships. Your relationships with people are competitive. There's a rivalry or a jealousy in your heart towards other people's success and position. But a son is humble. A son has unity with other people and values them and rejoices in them and celebrates their blessings and their success. You don't think that I don't get tested with New Life Church? I love Pastor Mike and he's my friend. I drive by it every single day. And every day God says, pray for them and love him and love him well. Celebrate their successes. This is not a church competition. You find your tribe and you get plugged in and stay there. And if it's there or or where the Waltons went, I don't care where it is. You don't belong to me. You find your tribe. And if my voice does not have your ear, then find a shepherd that does. Because I'm a son. And if I was an orphan, I would be doing all I can to make sure you don't leave. Seriously. It's one great big kingdom. Sons 
are confident in their identity. And there's so many other things I could hit you with. How about discipline? Sons understand the discipline of God is a good thing. They understand that sometimes you need a spiritual spanking. And so God's like, here I come, bend over. And so you bend over and say, you take it like a son. That's right, I just did that. You will not forget that. You will not forget that. You get a spiritual spanking. But see, if God didn't give you spankings, you'd be an illegitimate son. You'd be an illegitimate child. But see, and sons embrace that instead of be afraid of it because we know the judgment of God is triumphed with mercy and we know that God loves us and cares and his judgment is, on our, on, is beneficial. That's where the fear of God. See, so, orphans see God as a terrorist. Isn't that how most of the world sees God? But sons see God through the proper fear of God with a proper understanding that God loves you and he cares for you. Stay reverent, submitted, and in awe and worship and know that God is a good God and he's always gonna love you and care for you. Stop running. Let's all stand. Let me ask my prayer partners to come up, please. All my prayer partners and my ministry team come up. God is so good. Don't you just feel the pleasure of the Lord here today? Come on, he's the burden lifter. He's the burden breaker. Your marriage, your kids, your family. Come on, you're trench fighters. Say, I'm a trench fighter. And that's what God would make these mighty men and women. And God's transforming you every day. If you're not born again today and you don't know what it means to be a son, you need to repent. You need to confess Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. If you're hurting and broken, let me give you a few things that I want you to come up for, okay? I want you to come up if you know you've been an orphan and you're not a son or daughter. I want you to come up if this orphan residue keeps coming up. Shame, self-preservation, hiding, lying, blaming, victim. You can't be a victim and a son or a daughter at the same time. Those things cannot cohabitate. But if you are struggling with it, let somebody pray with you. Let somebody invade your space. See, orphans don't let anyone invade their space. But sons say, here I am. Lay your hands on me and pray for me. I don't care what it looks like. And today, if you need prayer for the, that, you need to come up. You've been battling these orphan tendencies, some of what I said. How about fear? Fear of money, fear of relationships, fear of your kids, fear of sickness, fear of the future. If that's you, you need to let somebody pray for you. Don't accept it. Fight it. Fastest way to kill your fear is to face it. And let Jesus fight on your behalf. You know how many altar calls I have answered in my life? Long before I became a pastor, I would cry at the altar week in and week out. Sorry about that. How about 
you see the church as an orphanage. You don't want to. You don't want to hang out at the orphanage anymore. The church is just, it's just broken, jacked up, one big orphanage. And so really you'd rather just not be here. That may be for some people watching or listening. This isn't an orphanage. There's a father here. There's something you get here that you'll never get alone, beloved. Keep coming, keep showing up, all right? If any of those things are you, angry, healing, hurt, pain, whatever it is, if you need prayer today, make your way up here. And let this awesome group of sons and daughters that I love so much pray for you, all right? I'm gonna pray you out and you guys can make your way up for prayer. Jesus, I bless this house. It's a house of sons and daughters. Thank you, Jesus, for rescuing the orphans and turning us in to sons and daughters, kings and priests, a royal priesthood. Help us to see how you see us and forgive us when we act like orphans. Hide, preserve, lie. Have mercy when we lie, God. Forgive us. We don't want to be liars. We don't want to self-preserve and hide. I pray life and strength and peace to every one of you. I pray hope and encouragement to your heart and your life. When you walk out these doors, you'll never be the same. Get them, God. Get them. Get us. Get us, God, together. And I pray a quickening by the Spirit and a reminder of your identity every minute of every day every week, every month, every year. I bless your life in Jesus' name, amen. If you need prayer, don't leave. Come up and let somebody pray for you. Have a great day.